Hi, friends. Welcome to the Revenue Real Hotline, where twice a week we'll bring you conversations designed to help you make better decisions and find more joy while selling. I'm Amy Rahovchek, and I'll be your guide. Let's go. Sean Buxton, welcome to the Revenue Real Hotline. I'm really excited to have this conversation, friend. Me too. Thanks for having me. I almost, I almost introduced you by your Big Mac sales guy or Sean. <laughs> <laughs> You're calling. That was great, but we'll save that for later. All right. So Sean, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners and a little bit of what you do every day, and then we can dive right in. Yeah. My name is Sean Buxton. For the last 20 years or so, I've been either selling, leading sales teams, or teaching sales leaders and sellers how to sell better, faster, stronger. And that's the sum of my career over the last 20 years. And I enjoy doing that right now. I'm really laser focused on helping sales managers transform into sales leaders. I found that I enjoyed teaching sales, but I really love getting together with frontline managers and exposing them to the best practices, the habits of elite sales leaders, because I don't think that's information that's readily out there and available to them. Yeah, that, that would be at the understatement of the century. Listeners, Sean falls into the category of knows what the hell he is talking about. Like you look at some of the content that Sven is producing, like listeners, I got to read. So Sean is coming off of a director of sales enablement position. And these are some of the accomplishments that were listed and like that took three quarters. Okay. Increased outbound productivity of AE team by 150%. Oh, greater than 90% of AE outbound productivity sourced by new sellers that completed the program. Increased average deal size by $10,000. Decreased average ramp time for AEs by 33% from nine months to six months. 100% of BDRs onboarded hit quota post ramp. 50% hit quota within the first three months on ramp. And increased conversion rates of leads by 20%. And again, all done in three damn quarters. And so Sean, just expand more. Like when you said that you consider yourself a seller first and a sales enablement human second, what did you mean by that? I think it's essential that if you're going to be in sales enablement, that you've carried a bag or carried the Zoom call in yeah. our age, that you know what you're talking about because you've done it. I never fear getting up in front of an audience of sellers. I don't care if they're enterprise reps doing $100 million deals because I know that I've done everything from door-to-door sales in Guatemala City with very bad Spanish all the way to enterprise deals of $4 million, $5 million myself. I know that I've been there and not that makes me an expert. It just makes it to where I can feel their pain. I know what it's like yeah. to be a seller mm-hmm. and to have to carry a quota and what have you done for me lately? And I think sellers appreciate that. And that really influences my approach as well to enablement to where I am trying to share with them the real stuff, the real deal shit that you're going to use, not theories, not just frameworks that sound good, but really stuff that I've seen work. And so because I've been doing this for a while, I've been able to observe a lot of really sales leaders and salespeople. And I'm really good because I take a lot of notes. So I just share best practice of it. I've kept them. So the best thing about me being a sales guy first is I've been around so many great sales guys and gals. And a lot of the things that I share is a culmination of all their experiences. So you're not just getting me, you get me plus everybody else that I've worked with over the years. Did want to comment, you're reading off my uh, 
my scorecard there a little bit. I do want to point out, I said our, because I had a great team that worked with me at that last company and I could not have done it without them. It was a small team, but it was a mighty team. And the rule for my team, I, I wouldn't even interview you if you haven't sold before. I don't care how many cool enablement certifications you have. I've got those two. That's not important to me as much as the fact that you can relate to our audience. So I do want to give the credit to the team because they were rock stars. You see what I'm talking about, listeners? This man knows what's up. And yeah, Sean, I, like you don't accomplish results like that. One is too small of a number. And so I, I'm, I apologize for misreading it, but well, damn said. Sam said. Okay. So as much as I want to dive into in what universe does a person that's building out a department that's going to enable the field and be the voice of the customers not value that lived experience? I, it just is, it's funny to me, but I feel like we've got better things to talk about. Okay. So let's talk about how, what's your process when you're coming into an organization for the first time and just getting a lay of the land, looking at what kind of inputs or where you're starting from, and then getting all the stakeholders on the same page and like executing from there. Because one of my favorite lines is, if it takes a village to raise a child, it takes two to raise a competent salesperson. And so I know you've got a framework, but tell us how you approached the change of that organization and we're able to get those results so damn quickly. Yeah, I've got frameworks coming out of my ears. <laughs> I'm a framework junkie. So <laughs> I do have a framework right if you're asking me that you probably saw my eyes averting over to my other monitor to pull it over here so I can speak to it. But yeah, definitely have a framework that we use. We had a plan when we started there. I really believe sales enablement is not unlike sales in the fact that it's simple. The execution is hard, but the concepts are simple. Getting good at it is hard, but the concepts are easy. And with sales enablement, I believe it really breaks down into a few things. Number one, I believe it, it breaks down into making the content easy to find. It has to be relevant. It has to be concise. So I'd rather have 10 pieces of content that are on the money, they're current, and I know exactly where to go to find them if I'm a seller. Mm -hmm. Then to have 100 pieces of content. We got some over here on a shared drive. We got some on my laptop. We got some over here on, on a content management system. We got some in the learning manual. It's all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather have less than more. So it starts with content and the content has to be easy to find, relevant, and concise. The next piece is then it has to have context. Sellers need to understand why specific skills and knowledge are important, what it's going to do for them, and when to use it. And this is that kind of real world application where we get away from the fluff and the theory and get down to the stuff that really works. The next component I want to think about is the coaching then. Okay, once we get them the content and the context, how do we coach to that? And sellers have to be shown, of course, you know this, what good looks like to give the opportunity to try it for themselves and then coach to proficiency, not just coached, but my goal with sellers is to get them good at their role, them proficient, to get them good enough so they're not on a pip, but to get them proficient in their role. And then finally, the consistency then is running that back over and over. And the sales org has to be consistently coached in speaking that language of sales. And there's a language, there's certain vernacular that they adopt, selling the same, delivering the same message until it becomes part of the sales culture. You take those four content, context, coaching, and consistency, and then I'm going to run it back over and over again with calibration. I'm going to constantly be looking and seeing okay, is this working? And I What's, can't- yeah, my, How are the buyers changing? What kind yeah. of trends are we noticing? Please continue. Yeah, I can't let my ego as a creator 
get involved there to where I think I built it. So it must be great. And I have to be willing to go back and say, nope, this isn't working for whatever reason in this industry, for this ICP, for this sales team, for whatever reason, it's not driving revenue. So we're constantly calibrating and going back to the beginning and going, okay, is the content easy to find relevant? Is it concise? And so that's the approach I took. And that seems to get us where we want to go very quickly. I love what you just said. The whole thing, right? Content, context, coaching, consistency, calibration. Just sign me up. I buy. But I love that you started with the content. And specifically, it's got to be easy to find. And mm-hmm. it's, it's been something that's very much on my brain now. When I think about the current state of our learning platforms, none of them... I mean, there's been a couple of instances, but let's say Seismic, Highspot, Mindtickle, whatever, all those, the normal ones have not put the audio learning feature set onto the roadmap yet, or maybe they're on the Mm. roadmap. It's just not launched yet. Yeah, I love that. And that's really next level, right? I think the reason these companies don't don't put that on their roadmap or it's so far out there is because I think that's Apple. Apple does that. They can just listen on their phone. But again, to have it all in one place, easy to find, have it connected with tools and job aids and to have it just centrally located it's so much more powerful because you know how our salespeople are. I mean, we're all over the place. We're not into the details. We want things easy. We just want to get on the phone with somebody and build a relationship, show some value, solve a problem, close a deal. If, I mean, if I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I think sellers are also excellent learners, the great ones, the ones that stay around. Mm-hmm. And they also know how to teach themselves. And our learned behavior is that generally the content that's being produced by the company is... Mm, like we can also go find it on our own. And so sure. there, I think there's that piece of it. And also the majority, the lion's share of content that we're producing right now as organizations requires for the seller to be sitting at their fucking desk. They're literally chained to their desk, whether they're watching a video or whatever. And so I think that is a missed opportunity. But to take this one step further is that there's a lot of changes not necessarily how people change, right? Or learn trends change, just like the buyers change. For example, micro learning, taking a piece of content that was originally maybe an hour long and taking the onus of responsibility off of your field to have to one, know about all the pieces inside of it. And instead just cutting it up and offering these highly niche ultra targeted, like how to execute something, I think just really aligns with the way that people are preferring to learn these days. I'm sorry, please continue. No, I think you're right on the money. I think if these companies like Highspot and Seismic, if they could figure out a way to integrate some kind of TikTok-ish platform, it would be game-changing to where I could just be logged in. And whenever I wanted to, I could go hit a couple of quick hit videos, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, from the enablement guy or gal or from the VP of sales or the CRO or my frontline manager, and everybody was involved in investing in that, I think that would be amazing. I won't charge you for that high spot if you do that, but that was my idea. But I don't, I don't have your the, first listeners. <laughs> I mean, and it's not, it's, it's not that revolutionary, but I feel there's a strange aversion and I primarily work in tech companies, but it's funny, there's a strange aversion to technology in tech companies when it comes to enablement. And when it comes to specifically sales enablement, I mean, I've had trouble getting senior leadership in sales to back me as I try to promote even a tool like LinkedIn and saying, you need to be on LinkedIn as a thought leader. You need to be seen. People need to be thinking about you today, salesperson. 
What do you think about that? Have you experienced that? <laughs> Listeners, we turned our cameras off because for bandwidth, I didn't want to mess with the audio. But I, if Sean could see me right now, he would see my big ass smirk. Yeah, of course. And it was actually one of the hardest things about transitioning to sales enablement was realizing, I don't know if this is exactly what you're trying to communicate, but I think it's it's along the same vein, but realizing the pervasiveness of the thinking about salespeople from the leadership ranks of our own teams. And I think it's that concept is of not wanting to invest in your people, not wanting to give them the proper tools to aptly execute quickly and efficiently or differently. It's that mindset of sellers are coin-operated. They are not problem solvers. We need to manage them. I mean, look how we treat SDRs. We're going to manage what they do down to the day and task. And it's crazy, Sean, because because I there was a guy that was on I recorded with yesterday. He's a co-founder of Leon. And so he comes from like sports data and worked with the track Olympic team and is a, building a platform that is highly predictive for managers around burnout. And I asked him as someone that had communicated with the upper echelons of sports psychologists and data scientists and true coaches and performance coaches, what it was like. Please explain to me what your experience has been like communicating with sales bosses, which we differentiate on this show between sales boss and sales leader. He mm -hmm. tells a great story about how it's like going back in time. Okay. And you're having these conversations with somebody that it, like the logic, if we even want to call them that, is so dated. And it's so now at this point rooted in ego that it's baffling really at this point. And so I don't even, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are incredible sales leaders out there that are absolutely doing the Lord's work. And you people like you, Sean, that are teaching new managers how to operate differently than what they experience. And that's awesome. But yeah, no, that's, that is absolutely a thing that I've experienced too. I think we're stuck in this past mindset of sales because I think the senior leaders that are in charge now never had anybody really crystallize or distill down what it means to be a sales leader versus a sales manager and what you do to coach somebody beyond, hey, sell more, grind it, try harder, do better. More activity, like, more activity, yeah, more activity. Yeah. And it's not that you're going to get me to say, I don't love grinding it out and making the calls. I mean, you got to do that, but it's not an answer in and of itself. And I think the gap is because no one has come along, or if they have, we haven't heard enough of this, where they've really crystallized what it means to be a sales leader and to get really what I would call intentional about leading your sales team versus leading on accident or managing on accident. And you'll find I'm annoyingly obsessed with semantics and defining words. I believe the better you can define a word, the more you can take action on it. And so I sometimes get into a little bit of black and whiteness here. As far as oh, you're just uh, speaking to as a kindred spirit on this one is well, I already <laughs> gave you the words we use on this show. <laughs> yeah. You said say, if I were to use your vernacular sales boss, to me, that's a manager and management is largely around monitoring, measuring, reporting, and it's focusing on things that have already happened and just reporting those up to your VP or your CRO or whoever you report to as a sales leader. And it's not that's bad. It's not bad. But the fact of the matter is almost anyone can do that. You tell me what reports you want me to run. You tell me how you like me to forecast. 
you tell me what meetings I have to go to, what I'm supposed to be monitoring, and then I can report it to you. It doesn't take a lot of skill on my part. Definitely doesn't take any leadership ability. So you take a manager and most people can do that. And so a lot of people that are put in that role then do exactly just that. But when we think about sales leadership, sales leadership is largely around what are we going to do? Where are we going? What's it going to take to get there? Am I going to inspire people? Am I going to coach them? Am I going to develop them? And very few sales leaders are found in the marketplace today. You have a lot of sales managers, not a lot of sales leaders. It's not to say that sales management is bad. It's not you. I've never met a sales leader that was a great sales leader that wasn't also a great sales manager. It's just so much more than that. I meet sales managers all the time that aren't sales leaders at all. Do you see the differentiation I'm making there? Yeah, I do. Actually, I experienced that. And that's why they both have different names on the show, because they are very different things. And you're right. The latter is a rare, rare unicorn of a human being. And I would add to that about leadership also involves coaching, right? There's so Mm -hmm. much complexity and nuance to coaching. And I just, I see a massive skill gap there as well. And it's not just like coaching the individual, but it's also coaching a team and how quickly do the aggressive use of dashboards create a really toxic space. Mm. And I got to think about like why these things haven't been happening. The current state of new manager onboarding is shameful in this profession, shameful or absolutely comical, like hysterical, depending on the day. But like in what multiverse does a group of people actually think that operating without this critical onboard step for new managers, like, and how hard they fight against it. You talked about trying to introduce new things on the tech front. Like I've tried to pose new manager onboarding programs. And we can even add to that since we're talking like skill gap, but most managers, sales managers that I have seen talk to whatever banter with, are not responsible for their own P&L, which means that they do not have a basic understanding of the cost drivers of their department, right? Mm -hmm. Top line revenue, no problem. We got that in droves. And so now when you look at these correlated categories of serious skill gap in column A, serious skill gap in column B, serious skill gap in column C, we can add into the diversity and exclusion, right? Making zero progress over the past 30, 40 years, also an embarrassing state. And it's at some point, like we got to talk about either awareness or the ego that is impeding progress for everybody. Pay no attention to all the dead bodies that are dropping around us or all the dollars lost due to obscene attrition rates. Pay no attention to that. Yeah, there, there haven't been many voices that have challenged that status quo in sales management. And uh, that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to point out, hey, there is a difference. There, there are best practices, habits, patterns that I've experienced in working with some of the world's best sales leaders. And there's things that they do that mediocre sales managers don't do. Unfortunately, a mediocre sales manager could have a rock star rep on their team or have a a product that's first to market or in the right place, right time and be successful. And then that person gets promoted to VP. And then that person gets promoted to CRO on accident, being in the right place at the right time. It doesn't mean that just because someone's a CRO that they know what they're doing when it comes to sales leadership. It probably means they do know a lot about sales management and again, the dashboards and the reports. And again, that's important, 
But there's something else that needs to take place in order to challenge a team of sellers, especially today when many of them could be remote, to challenge a team of sellers to constantly strive for greater and greater targets month after month, quarter after quarter, without them hating your guts by the end of the year and looking to go somewhere else. That's the nuance of sales leadership for me. So that was beautiful. That was well said. And I love the post that you did about as a leader, like learning how to recognize your you used a different word. I use the word triggers. And it really spoke to me. And to the post listeners, it was just a put some intention around understanding when you feel triggered in conversations. And Joan, I'm not looking at the post. Do you remember the post and which words you used? Yeah, hot buttons. Hot buttons, hot buttons. Okay. But like the, the prep work there or the work as the individual is to, is to recognize the patterns. Oh, shit. So one, I have step one, got present. Step two, eliminated things so that I have enough time and space to actually figure this out. But for me, Sean, one of the big ones, um, like probably the biggest one was condescension. And so it was a massive light bulb for me when I realized that this was a thing. And then when I would be condescended to in like conversations, it was a completely different experience because I personally learned the best thing to do in that moment is just to say nothing, right? Mm -hmm. Do absolutely yeah. nothing. Give myself time and space to allow the really strong emotions to just pass, right? Because when I act in that place of anger, like I... I do more damage than good. And I end up having three X the work of whatever backtracking. But I don't see things written like that and on that level. And I think that this is where the mental health experience is also massively helpful for aspiring leaders and leaders as well, right? Because one of the best and most effective ways to help someone to move along on their journey of their mindset, right? That headspace, call it resilience, call it mental health, call it cognitive behavioral therapy. It doesn't matter. It's all the same shit. Just a proactive reclaiming of our brains. And that was a, it was just a brilliant post. And I wanted to give you that shout out. All right, all that wraps another installment of Revenue Real Hotline. Today's episode was produced by the fabulous Nian Fiedler. Naturally, I'd like to thank my guests for sharing their brilliance and stories with us. And thank you too, listener. I know you've got a ton of options and I appreciate you choosing us. For anyone who wants to support the show, do follow us wherever you listen and be sure to join us next time for more conversations designed to help you make better decisions and find more joy while selling. I'm Amy Rahovchik and that's a wrap. <laughs>